I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So two weeks ago, I had Kerry Cox Romero, the executive director of the New Mexico Guides and Outfitters Association, to talk about the bighorn sheep draw uh, situation in the state of New Mexico. Two days ago, I had Brandon Wynn reach out to me, who said, hey, you're a pretty fair individual. You want to hear our side of the story? And naturally, I said yes. So this is a conversation about the people on the other side of the coin. Brandon Wynn, a private individual, and Jesse Dubell, who's the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. And it's a hard-hitting conversation, as you would expect, about... Why are they actually interested in removing the non-resident application pool of bighorn sheep? The answer may surprise you. All right, so one of the things that um, I absolutely pride ourselves in from a blood origins perspective is that we want to hear from everyone. We want to hear from both sides of the equation. Um, Unbeknownst to you two, or maybe you do know this. I've actually got a series of E plus podcasts already done uh, from New Mexico on both sides of the coin. 
both sides of the equation. And um, we haven't released it because the whole E plus system this year uh, did not uh, mature the way that we thought it was going to mature. So we may release them, but we may not. But I say that to say that we are very much interested in getting both sides of the coin. We we want to hear from hunters, not anti-hunters and, and, and hunters, hunters that have different viewpoints and have different perspectives on the management of our resources, opportunity, um, how people should hunt or maybe they shouldn't hunt. And so when Brandon Wynn reached out to me and said, hey, I heard you just dropped a podcast about bighorn sheep permit allocation in the state of New Mexico. I said, yeah, absolutely. And he followed it up by saying, I hear that you're also quite a fair individual and are willing to listen to both sides of the uh, coin. I said, that is true too. And he goes, well, uh, I'd like to have an opportunity to discuss our viewpoint on the New Mexico bighorn sheep permit allocation. I said, absolutely, no problems. And Brandon decided to invite his buddy, Jesse, to the podcast. So here we have it. We have Jesse and Brandon. So let me do this. Brandon, I'll let you introduce yourself first since you were the, the initiator of this engagement. Um, why don't you, well, firstly, both of you, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm excited about this conversation. And as you heard from the conversation I had with Kerry Cox Romero, I'm probably not going to hold any punches like I did with her and like I'm going to do with you. Um, which is what you would expect from a hard-hitting conversation. So welcome, Brandon Wynn. Introduce yourself, please. Thank you very much for um, responding to my uh, message so quickly and and uh, inviting us on to your podcast. We really appreciate that. And I've uh, followed a lot of the stuff that you do, and I thought, well, this I love the way you dig deeply into things and how you – um, quickly grasp issues when they're presented to you and you drill down. And so I expect this to be a challenging uh, conversation, which I welcome. Um, my name is Brandon Wynn. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm a fifth or sixth generation New Mexican, depending how you count it. Um, I was formerly on the board of New Mexico Wild, um, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, and I was on the board of the New Mexico chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I was also on the board for a very brief period, and I got to say, on that one, I didn't accomplish much, was much was the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Sheep Society up in Colorado. That's kind of like the state chapter that actually outdates the National Wild Sheep Foundation. They were okay. one of the original sheep conservation organizations, and I was on that for a short period, decided I'd bring my time uh, strictly back to New Mexico issues, um, or primarily. Um, I'm a very strong advocate for um, resident hunting opportunity in every state, in other states and my state. I stick up for resident hunting in other states. Um, I'm also a strong advocate for some non-resident hunting. And um, I've been involved in that space and trying to um, make it to where the average person can hunt, can afford to hunt. So I'm generally opposed to systems that make hunting accessible to the more wealthy people only at the exclusion of the less wealthy people. 
and so that's why I've been involved in this bighorn sheep issue. Also, I'm a very avid sheep hunter. I've hunted sheep probably with friends and family 20, 25 times probably. And I've hunted sheep uh, with tags in my pockets uh, seven times. Perfect. Thank you, Brandon. Jesse, welcome. Hey, Robbie, thank you very much for uh, for having me. And, and Brandon, thank you for initiating the conversation. I'm, my name is Jesse Dubell. I'm a lifelong New Mexican. And I'm currently the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Uh, prior to working with the Wildlife Federation, um, I was the president and one of the original founders of the United Bow Hunters of New Mexico. Bow hunting is something that I'm, I'm deeply passionate about. I made the majority of my career was spent as a custom home builder. So that's what my background is. A lot of times when we start talking about privatization of public resources, I'm accused of being anti-private property rights or something like that. And that's certainly not the case. I was a licensed realtor, um, developer, custom home builder. So I, I made my living uh, because of private property rights. And I certainly respect those. Um, and... The New Mexico Wildlife Federation was founded in 1914 by Aldo Leopold, so it's even older than the National Wildlife Federation, founded in 1936. As Carrie mentioned numerous times on, on the episode where she was featured, uh, she referred to the New Mexico Wildlife Federation as a resident advocate, resident hunting advocacy group. That's that's true for sure. A few different times it was said in there that we don't support non-resident hunting, which is, is definitely not the case. I'm a non-resident in 49 states, and uh, I do hunt in other states as well. But you do oppose this non-resident hunting opportunity. Well, this is where it's going to get interesting because what I oppose is the New Mexico State Game Commission violating state statute. And that's where the issue is. And we'll get into that, I'm sure. But they're they're not following the statute and the definition of a hunt code, which is defined in statute. So what I'm advocating for is that the Game Commission needs to go to the state legislature to fix the law so that we can provide both resident and non-resident hunting opportunity for species like bighorn sheep, which otherwise don't have enough tags to go to the outfitting pool and the non-resident pool. And if we get into the outfitting pool, I've got all kinds of thoughts about that also. But um, to keep it brief, I, I will say that I... It, Let, let's, let's, before you go into, because you're about to dive in there. Yeah. Let's let's lay the situation out at a 50,000-foot level. I do not want to get into the statute. I don't want to get into hunt codes because the majority of people that are going to listen to this are not. As soon as they, we get into that, they're going to turn this off. Okay? Yes, it may be central to the issue, but there's a 50,000-foot level issue here that we that should start, and then we can start layering down, and we can peel the button layers back. So... Jesse, what is what is the so the issue at play here is what the issue at play is that there's uh, conflicting statutes. I know you don't want to talk about the statutes, so I won't go to them specifically. But the issue is how tags are allocated in New Mexico, and in New Mexico, bighorn sheep tags are allocated very very differently than every other big game species in the state, and. The Game Commission does that to provide tags for the outfitter set-aside pool, the special pool of tags that exists exclusively for people who have a legal contract with an outfitter in order to gain access to that pool of tags. So the, the commission allocates bighorn sheep tags differently so that the outfitting pool gets some tags and also so the non-resident pool, which would be your do-it-yourself non-resident who may or may not hire an outfitter, but is not required to have a contract with an outfitter to apply in that pool. So they get some tags. So essentially the commission 
is breaking in in my view my opinion is that the commission is breaking the law in how they are allocating these bighorn sheep tags and again they, they might be doing it for good reason maybe the intent behind it is to provide additional hunting opportunity for non-residents that's okay but i don't think it's okay for the commission to violate a statute that's that's my bottom line but i'll let brandon chime in brandon might have more perspective on so that. let me ask this question to brandon brandon as i understand it there are three pools of tags for bighorn sheep in the state of New Mexico, correct? There's three pools for all draw hunts for all species, but generally correct, yeah. It just for applies. Bighorn, let's just talk about yeah. bighorn sheep. For bighorn sure. sheep, three pools, right? Correct. How correct. many tags combined for the three pools for bighorn sheep? 50 this year. It floats a couple per year, but this year it was 50, and last year it was the same number, or 49. I can't remember. What is the breakdown between the three pools? They're um, combined rocky and desert. It was, it's um, two permits for unguided non-residents, five permits for anyone that hires an outfitter, and for bighorn sheep, only a non-resident would hire an out, would would go into the drawing under contract with an outfitter because you get a little boost on the odds there as a non-resident, but as a resident, your odds would be cut by a factor of five. So for bighorn sheep, last year and the year before, there were two unguided non-resident permits. So mm-hmm. any non-resident can put in there. There were five for the um, outfitters. Mm-hmm. And, 40, and 43 for residents. 43, 42, right. Okay. So, back to you, Jesse. By my calculations, that's 14%, right? That's 14% of the tags. 85, 15, sort of plus or minus uh, that's allocation. Um, so, what we heard from Kerry was... And, and and I'll just be blunt about it, really, is, and it sounds like based on what you said originally, we're, we're arguing about the five, or we're arguing about the seven, in terms of its allocation to residents versus non-residents. Or maybe let me step back. Let me step back and ask a much broader question. Maybe which one that will, before we dive into the statute again. Are you against... Those seven tags, plus or minus, as you said, every year they'll go maybe eight, maybe seven, maybe six. Okay, but let's just call it seven. Are you against the seven tags being allocated to non-residents? Absolutely not. I'm glad you asked that question because that's been, we've been, uh, we being me, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, um, have been grossly misrepresented on that fact. Um, I know that Every time that I can remember on this issue that I've got up and spoke on the official public record to the Game Commission and anything I've written anywhere, I've always said that I believe we should have non-resident hunting for all of our species. I have no problem with that. I would, if they tried to eliminate non-resident hunting, I would be right in there with the, um, everyone else lobbying for non-resident hunting. Yeah, because you said in the beginning, you're a non-resident hunting advocate. You go and hunt non-resident out of the state Absolutely. of New Mexico that you like. Absolutely. Jesse, do you like to go hunt non-resident out of the state of New Mexico? 
my most recent non-resident hunting trip was a month-long float hunt, do-it-yourself, solo trip, 211 miles uh, in Alaska. It took me almost a month. It was fantastic caribou hunting opportunity. That was an over-the-counter tag, so it, you know I didn't have to apply and compete. I certainly did have to spend significantly more money than a resident would have, which I agree with and support. It makes sense. When I hunt moose in Alaska, I've got a 50-inch requirement on antlers or four brow tines on one side. Residents don't you know, don't have those same rules. The, the mm -hmm. prices are different. Mm -hmm. And I, I really embrace all of that. And I support all of that. Um, where this gets tricky, and I, I want non-residents to come to New Mexico and have the opportunity to hunt bighorn sheep. I just want the, I want it to be done legally. And in order for the commission to actually force this issue at the state legislature, it's going to take a drastic change. And that change is they're going to have to follow the law initially, which would eliminate non-resident hunting opportunity. That That is true. If, if they follow- For bighorns only. For bighorns only. If they follow the statute, non-resident hunting opportunity would be eliminated. It would be my goal that that was a very, very temporary situation, hopefully not lasting more than a single hunting season, because it would force us to go to the state legislature and address the statutory conflict that is causing the commission to, in my opinion, violate that statute. So I, I want to fix it. I just, I want to fix it right. Just the, the way that it works right now is not terrible. I mean, I'm not, I'm not frustrated or upset that seven bighorn sheep hunting opportunities are going to non-residents every year. I don't think that's inappropriate at all. What I think is inappropriate is that the commission is violating the law in order to provide those seven. I want to fix the law so they can provide those seven opportunities in in a, a legal fashion that's that's my so, whole position number one i had no idea that that was your position okay because you're essentially saying the same thing kerry says i.e we want non-resident opportunity absolutely okay number two i'll tell you my my the thing that scares me the most here's what makes me scared in order to become legal, and I want to understand this now, okay? In order to become legal, you just said that non-residents will lose that opportunity. I am, I don't know where you both stand, and I don't, want to, I don't want to understand where you stand on this issue, but I'm very much a, a believer in the death by a thousand cut scenario. This is a cut. I'm a big belief proponent that often when you get cut, you don't get it back. So if there's a chance for us not to cut it, I'm going to be for that the entire time. I can't, you cannot, nobody can guarantee that once we lose it, that it will come back. That's a problem in my, in my mind. Hey, Robbie, can I take, can I, Jesse, can I take that one? I'm going to hand it to you in a second, Brandon. But what I want to say okay. is that um, when you had Carrie on the show, Robbie, she was referencing a meeting that was going to happen at the New Mexico That's Department of Game and Fish. Did that with, meeting happen? That meeting has already happened. And okay. during the meeting, Brandon introduced a proposal that would ensure that non-residents did not lose the opportunity, even temporarily. But his proposal also would have forced all of the groups at that meeting to 
go to the state legislature and work together because that's really what we need to do. We need the outfitters and the landowners and the hunters all working together to fix this issue. Brandon had a proposal that would have done just that. And uh, unfortunately, the other groups would not agree to that proposal. But Brandon, why don't I turn it over to you to uh, talk hold about on, Hold the, on, hold on. Me... Go ahead, Robbie. I'm sorry. But you just said to fix the statute legally. Unless Brandon came up with a different legal solution, you would still lose non-resident hunting opportunities. Brandon, do you want to talk about the, the sunset proposal that you provided at that meeting that I think was very, very reasonable? And I think it would have had the opportunity to force us to fix this at the legislature, but without temporarily eliminating non-resident opportunities. So let, let me let, see if Brandon can explain that proposal and maybe it'll make more sense. Okay, thank you. Robbie, so I shared your concern. It's like, you know, my initial thing was like, well, you know, if non-residents lose permits for a year, for a season or something, and in the end we have a durable, rational allocation for non-residents, then what's a year's loss in the big picture? Not that big a deal. But say the legislature says, oh, we're just going to leave it that way. Too bad, so sad. Well, if they did that, then the that the game commission would just go back and do what they're doing now. So the, if the legislature didn't act, so first of all, there's that, that closing of the trap door, right? So the game commission would just go back and do it. But in order to try to be reasonable and actually get this done, this deal done, right? I thought about it. I said, how can we build a bridge that everyone is kind of like stung a little bit? which is that's what compromise is, right? If everyone walks right. out, if someone walks out of the room cheering, there's not a compromise usually right. once in a while. And so I thought about it real hard. I said, so what I did was I split the entire quota of bighorn sheep tags in New Mexico into two pieces. One would go on to a pool that would be resident only. Then the other roughly half would go into a pool that works like it does today. And so the upshot of that is that it would, instead of having seven total non-resident bighorn sheep tags, at today's numbers of 50 tags, it would be four. And they would be equally split, two for unguided non-residents and two for outfitted non-residents. And so I thought that that was a really fair thing. So it was less than splitting the non-resident share in half. It was four sevenths instead of three sevenths. So I carefully did that on purpose, right? So it built a bridge that I thought would get us into the legislature. And that's the thing is that I just, from a public policy and uh, standpoint, it gives me a lot of heartburn when um, government bodies, especially something as important to my entire lifestyle and everyone that I'm really good friends with lifestyle, the state game commission. I mean, we all live and die by the, what the state game commission does. So I didn't like back in 2014 when they monkeyed with how they were distributing tags. I just thought, man, that is a rotten deal. They would have left it alone. Then we could have solved this problem in 2014. And then in 2018, we tried to do what we're doing now. They just kick the can down the road and they keep kicking the can down the road. And that's what we're trying to do is prevent them from kicking the can down the road while still maintaining non-resident hunting opportunity for bighorn sheep and having a permanent fix that will more than likely be in effect when my children are having children, which hopefully is a long time from now. 
So I just wanted a durable, rational, efficient public process to be completed and deal with this uh, bighorn sheep allocation situation issue for for um, all time. Hey, Brandon, I'm going to just piggyback off of that, though. When that proposal was rejected by the New Mexico Chapter of Wild Sheep Foundation and the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides, you came up with an alternative proposal that I thought was also very reasonable. And what that proposal was essentially, Robbie, is leave everything the way it is now, but put a sunset on it so that this this process of lumping different tags that belong in different hunt codes all under one hunt code to provide the outfitter non-resident opportunity that would have an expiration date that practice would expire and that would have forced the wildlife federation and the backcountry hunters and anglers and the wild sheep foundation to all work together to go to the legislature to fix this issue before it expired as long as there's no expiration on it though the the, the wild sheep Wild Sheep Foundation and, and New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides have no real incentive to push the hand of the legislature to correct the issue. So I thought that was super reasonable. Non-residents would have not lost their opportunity, not even for a single season, We would, but it would have forced us into the state legislature to get this thing fixed so that it was permanent and durable, as Brandon just expressed a, a desire for. All right, let me ask this, because it, what you're you're saying to me doesn't make sense it doesn't and i'm thinking at it from the other side of the coin like why would why would why would the new mexico uh guides and outfitters association new mexico wild sheep foundation reject your proposal i can answer that for you i'll let me yeah. i'll put my thought out there and you can tell me if this is right or sure. wrong I would have rejected your proposal if I knew that your proposal would change how things are distributed allocation-wise today versus when it's in, put in place in the future. I.e., right now, it's a 43-7 split. Is it going to be 43-7 after the statute is fixed and after things are, are sort of rewired or will it be less that's why um you're you're very you're very wise that that's exactly why like so backing up to wild sheep foundation why are they even in on this it has nothing to do with sheep conservation funding right mm -hmm. all the money you know yeah, those are the enhancement tags. Uh, yeah, yeah they that. That's where all the money and it is. Yeah. They, they've they've portrayed it like that's going to be impacted. Well, I can show you the numbers. No, I, I even said that to Kerry. I said the enhancement yeah. tags. She mentioned it. The enhancement tags are where the conservation dollars lie. The conservation dollars don't lie in the New Mexico. And again, I'm, I'll be very specific. The New Mexico non-resident uh, seven tags. Okay, right. Where that where right. the money lies there is the engagement of the five tags with the guides and outfitters that provides an extra opportunity for individuals that are non-residents to get an opportunity to tag and provide some economic uh, benefits into those guides and outfitters in the state of New Mexico. I get it. I even used it to get my art tag for the state of New Mexico right. that right. I never shot an art ad on, but that's yeah. a side, side point. So I think that the fear is why um, Wild Sheep Foundation and still, even with that, I don't quite, you know, their mission is sheep conservation and why they've 
gone into this fight is a mystery to me why it's not a sheep conservation issue. They shouldn't be in it, in my opinion. No, mm -hmm. I'm a Summit Life member of the Wild Sheep Foundation. I've done a lot of work with Wild Sheep Foundation on the ground for sheep, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I do census every year. I go out and crawl around in the desert and in the mountains and count sheep and stuff. So I have a lot of skin in the game with Wild Sheep Foundation, and I'm very disappointed they've jumped into this fight, especially at the level and with the the vigor that they've done. And I think it's really off their mission. I think that they've disparaged their brand by doing this, to diminish their brand by doing this. I'm very upset that they're in on this, right? So the Mexico Council of Officers and Guides, I get it. I have no problem. I mean, they're the non-resident hunting lobby. I would be, you know, I don't have a problem with Well, I wouldn't the say they're Council. a non-resident lobby. They're a guides and outfitted lobby. Which is, I mean, okay. So 97% right. of their customers are non-resident, sure. especially in New Mexico. So states where they don't have set-asides, it's interesting. Like you go to Arizona, lots of Arizona residents use Arizona outfitters. Mm -hmm. And New Mexico doesn't have it much. So our system's built for the outfitter thing to mm -hmm. be. It's it's for all intents and purposes, it's a non-resident mm -hmm. hunting lobby. Sure. I mean, that's what they lobby for. So, so I see that they're in it. But so the fear is, so if you talk to non-resident hunters, most non-resident hunters, like if you did a poll, non-resident and resident hunters, what do you think about the outfitters set aside? It's going to be, it's highly unpopular with residents and non-resident hunters. I have tons. I hunt all over the West. I apply in all sorts of states. I mean, I hunt all over the West a lot. And all of my friends hate the outfitters set aside. They hate having to pay to get those better odds. They don't hate outfitters. They don't, they like to hire outfitters, right? They, every friend I have has hired an outfitter, but they want to do it after they draw the tag and decide what they want to do. They don't want to be married to a certain outfitter and also they don't want to have to pay a private individual for better draw odds they have a real problem with that right so because it's so unpopular with everybody with almost everybody there's fear of sending the opening the quota law at the legislature and it's rational fear i don't deny that it's a rational fear so if this did go to the legislature what could happen it could yeah. be what, what, what have you let's ask it, that question it, have you calculated out what if this let's just hypothetically put out the situation what you want happens things change your statute changes jesse you fix what you need to fix what does that do for the 43 7 split it could change it it could reduce the seven or um like me what i would push for is that there wouldn't be a separate, there wouldn't be three pools. The problem with three pools, and this isn't against the outfitters, it's just the math is bad. So if you pay an outfitter in New Mexico 200 to 300% more sheep permits, well, you see the number, it's two to five, right? Non unguided. So I don't like that. I would like to see, because it's such a small number, trying to divide a small number is the total non-resident quota into two pieces. It's a nightmare and it always gets rounded funny. And you end up with these things where uh, people that pay outfitters get three times as much as people that don't pay outfitters. I'd like to see one pull, even if it's the same number, 16% is what it is technically. If it's the same number, I would be amenable to that for sure. But I'd like to see one pull. It would make it so much simpler to divide these tags up. That's what I would like to see is something around the total quota that we have for non-residents, but in one pool. And as um, as uh, 
Carrie Romero has said many times, you know, on the public record and everything, is that, hey, residents and non-residents alike hire um, outfitters at a high rate for bighorn sheep. And I know this to be true. I've sent lots of hunters, resident and non-resident, not lots, but because you don't know many people that draw sheep tags. But I've sent quite a few hunters. I get a lot of Because it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag in New Mexico, right? I've sent them to New Mexico outfitters. Like some of the my biggest opponents on this, I, we kind of laugh. They're like – we're killing each other on this issue. Right. And I send them clients, you know, and mm-hmm. I will continue to do that in the middle of this fight. I would send someone to these, mm-hmm. th- these very outfitters mm-hmm. that have been found me a hundred percent. I would send them to myself. These they're great outfitters. Right. Mm-hmm. So Jesse, so that's what I like to see is one pool. That's really sure. what I like to see is one. Sure. Jesse, maybe I'll maybe be a little bit more succinct. And I don't know if Brandon, Brandon said it could, it could decrease. He didn't say it could increase either. Um, That's always a possibility. But are we? But is is that reality, or is it going to go down? No, the, that's not the goal. It could, sure. When you open up, uh, you know, a statute of any kind with a state legislature, anything can happen. These legislators don't understand these issues. These legislators, you know, they could amend bills and, and make all kinds of changes that would, that have unintended consequences. Absolutely. But I will tell you, Robbie, and this this is honest and genuine. My goal is not to reduce the number of tags that would go out for non-resident opportunity. I totally agree with Brandon that. I think we should eliminate the outfitter pool entirely. And Carrie and I have had this conversation numerous times. She knows exactly where the Federation sits on this. I think that tag allocation should be 90% to residents and 10% to non-residents across the board. But that's a different issue. Ouch. That's a, Ouch. Yeah. Oh, man. Dang. Why are you <laughs> killing me with horrible. that 4%, that like 0. 0.4 of a tag? I'm well, sorry. No, but I'm, the, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, but the thing that's, that's, that's really interesting is non-residents in New Mexico currently – if, if they're not contracted with an outfitter, they're competing for 6% of the tags. And, and to me, that's really inappropriate. Uh, that's not, that's not a fair, that's not a fair number of tags for people who don't have the resources or maybe don't have the desire to hire an outfitter to compete for. And as Brandon was talking about residents hiring an outfitter, I mean, I hired an outfitter last September for my New Mexico resident elk hunt, but I applied in the regular draw, drew the tag and then hired the outfitter. And I think that's how it should work. Let me ask this question. Do we know the data last four years, five years, 10 years of the non-resident pool that did not hire a guide and outfitter? For bighorns? For, for any of the sheep tags. For the sheep tags. No, we don't have that data. That would be private data because, well, we know how many hired the outfitter to get drawn, but of the unguided non-residents and the residents that, that didn't data have contract we don't know that number great. that would be private data with the outfitters they may have it they just they just say we all know it's pretty high compared to other species so we let don't me, know the, let me let me throw number. out a crazy brain thought as i like to call them that data that two tag a year data if you go back five years or ten years and that number is 90 percent 95 percent or even 100 percent that those tags have hired an outfitter and a guide on that sheep hunt. Then I would say that you do have two pools. You have your resident pool and the seven tags on non-resident 
that just have to hire a guide post pulling the tag. Yeah, I mean, I a suppose that the outfitters of New Mexico are. Here's the crux of the matter as I see it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Guides and outfitters don't want to lose the revenue coming in from those five tags because that's good business. I get it. But because these are sheep tags, more than like, and it's a once in a lifetime tag, I'd put $100 right now that that two tag a year for the past 10 years is probably close to 100% of them hiring a guide. Because it's a once in a lifetime tag. So, mm, I don't agree with that because I've hunted sheep with a lot of people that are non residents that hunted. I've drawn two non resident tags, and the beauty of drawing that tag, like what is so attractive about drawing a sheep tag versus going to Alaska where you have to hire an outfitter and a guide. Or going to Canada, where it's, it's mandatory, it's compulsory. You can't do it. It's illegal to hunt without a guide in those two places yep. for sheep. So the big, the reason I had such a big dream of drawing a sheep tag in the lower 48 was specifically that I did not have to hire an outfitter, that I could take this challenge on myself. And I did do that two times, once in Arizona, once in Montana. And I have a lot of friends. And I've hunted sheep enough where I'm getting calls from friends of friends of friends I've helped out on numerous sheep hunts in different states without outfitters involved. And the attractiveness was being able to control your own hunt. So I think that that taking away that um, ability for a non-resident to hunt with an outfitter or not of their choice is I, I would hate to see that go away because I think that you're overestimating how often people would be the random selection. Oh, random I'm, I'm, so I think I'm, you might be overestimating that in my experience. Yeah, and you, you look, you as you said, you've been on 20 to 25 sheep hunts. That's 20 to 25 times more sheep hunts that I've been on, okay? I've been on one poor man sheep hunt, which is an odd head in New Mexico. Right. And I hired Good a guide, and I hired a guide to do it. Yeah. And I can see now, after that hunt, how if I had the time, I could potentially do it myself. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. Um right. But no, I was just thinking, again, compromise, right? It hurts both yeah. sides. And so is there a compromise here in which the guides and outfitters wouldn't balk and say... I don't think that they're worried about the revenue from the bighorn sheep. And, you know, they've said as much, right? This isn't about the outfitters set aside for the bighorn sheep. So it's kind of the opposite. I think their fear, it's not with losing the outfitters set aside for sheep. I think that they would... If they didn't lose something else, I think that they would, they could be convinced to give that up because there's certain advantages to that, right? So when people draw a sheep tag, if you draw in the outfitter pool, that outfitter owns that hunter, right? It's not up to the hunter to switch outfitters. You can't switch outfitters. So if you're a really good sheep outfitter, and this happens, I know people, you know, I've heard of cases where someone put in with an outfitter that doesn't even that never hunts sheep, right? And then they draw the tag and, you know, the outfitters learning the unit as much as the, um, as the hunter, right? You know, now the outfitters local and they're going to figure out, they're going to hire good guides. I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing a poor job, but some of the outfitters wouldn't mind being able to market to 
whoever draws those sheep tags and not having. So, I mean, I'm thinking for, I'm, I'm speaking for them and I, I shouldn't do that, but I don't think they would fight so hard of having one pool as long as it was, you know, reason, uh, you know, reasonably close to what it is today, total. Um, but the fear, I believe the fear, and it's an unstated fear is the, where the money's made in outfitting is not on sheep. There's a couple, you know, there's seven sure, tags. Sure, sure. I mean, if they got them all, it's 50. Is that a business? Is that an industry? No, it's not an industry. Thousands of elk tags, you know, mm-hmm. especially our private elk mm-hmm. tags and the private deer tags. That's mm-hmm. where the the money is made. That's the fear is having that messed with at the legislature. That's why this is such a big fight. It's not about these sheep and where the outfitters get them and how many non-residents get and resident and non-resident quota. That's not what the, the fight is to keep the legislature from monkeying with the the quota law in general. They don't want to crack that thing open because that was a big war. The quota law is a giant war at the legislature, right? Well, it's and, just like Jesse but, said, you crack open a statute, who the hell knows what happens? Well, but if you look at history in New Mexico, when it comes to the legislature, the outfitters and the private landowners wipe the floor with us. As, as Carrie started calling us, us residents preference agenda people right which i kind of take offense to it's like like we're doing something untoward yeah i'm for resident hunters imagine right but so so they've wiped the floor with us i think that their fears i said it was rational but i think that that fear is kind of unrational they kill us at the legislature when you start waving around dollars you know it wins every time that's Mm -hmm. what's going on here they're powerful organizations and they're crushing us on this which is we're used to it well and they have um they have a good memory, Robbie, because the last time we opened the quota statute, well, the last time we passed a, a law through the legislature dealing with the quota statute was in 2011. We passed Senate Bill 196. Prior to 2011, it used to be 78% of the opportunity for residents, 12% for the outfitters, and 10% for the non-residents. And the New Mexico Wildlife Federation um, supported a bill in our state legislature to to change that to 90-10. And through all of the committee hearings and the controversy and the fighting and the arguing and the compromises and all that, the the one group that was not represented at the state roundhouse at our state capitol building was the do-it-yourself non-resident. The outfitter lobby was there. The resident hunting lobby was there. And as a result, the do-it-yourself non-residents who had no representation at the state legislature, they lost. And they got cut down from 10% of the total tags to just 6%. And the outfitters got cut down from 12% to 10%, and the residents improved from 78% to 84%. So so they remember that, and and they I don't think they appreciated that. I don't think they, they liked that, and I don't think they want to see that happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to be clear, seven sheep tags, it, it doesn't – when you look at draw odds, when you look at my chances of ever hunting sheep, I'm like you, Robbie. I, I hunt – Audatters, we often refer to them here as Barbary sheep. I killed a nice ram uh, just last month, in fact, um, first week of April, an over-the-counter unit. I've never drawn a Barbary sheep tag in my life, so I only hunt over-the-counter. You know, we have an over-the-counter hunt. New Mex- non-residents can can get an over-the-counter yep. tag in New Mexico yep. every single year, and I'd be happy to take you and help you find some sheep if you wanted to do that. Um, but but I'll probably never in my life draw a bighorn. Only tag. if Brandon comes with us. <laughs> If I get invited, I'll be there. I promise you that. Yeah, Brandon's an excellent sheep hunter for sure. But I'll never draw a, a bighorn sheep tag. And even if 
these seven tags all went to the residents and all 50 tags went to residents, chances are I'll never draw a Barbary sheep tag. For me, this is a matter of principle. It's a matter big of, sheep. of uh, big big horn horn sheep. sheep. I'm yeah. sorry, I misspoke there, but it's a matter of principle. Um, the Game Commission oversees the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, which is a law enforcement agency. When is it appropriate for a law enforcement agency to completely ignore a state statute and violate it? And the agency's in a tough spot. I'm not trying to criticize them because they're, as I mentioned earlier, and I, I know this gets boring and I don't want your listeners to turn it off, but when there's conflicting statutes, when they're choosing between one statute or another because they can't follow both because they're in direct conflict with one another, that needs to be fixed. And... We have to we have to go to the legislature and fix that. Otherwise, the agency and the commission is forced to violate one of the two conflicting statutes. So that's just that that's not the way that things should be run, and mm-hmm. the public shouldn't be complacent about an agency that's violating the law. We should we should work together to fix it, and that's what I'm trying to do. And you know, I would love to work together with the Wild Sheep Foundation and with the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides, and then we all go to the legislature as a united front, then we don't have to worry about this meat grinder of a process where you put something in and don't know what comes out the other side. When that happens is when you're fighting an issue. When it's controversial and there's two sides and everybody's fighting, you don't know where things are going to end up. But if all of the stakeholders show up at the legislature and they have the solution, and they've already agreed upon the solution, then it's real easy to get that legislation passed in in its original form. And that's what I would like to do. But I don't know how to get the other stakeholders to join us in the effort unless there's some risk of losing something. And, and that's where the motivation came to fit to to force the commission essentially or attempt to force the commission to follow the true definition of a hunt code which which means in statute a description used to identify and define the species the weapon type and the time frame well these bighorn sheep hunts in new mexico i mean span a huge space of time months and months apart in completely different mountain ranges hundreds of miles away from one another and they're still lumped into the same hunt code and, and there's a lot of other problems with the way they do that lumping, one of which is you can't figure out your draws. It's the way the bighorn sheep draw is conducted makes it impossible to identify your draw odds and try to increase your chances by being smart and mathematically identifying which hunt you would have better draw odds for. And Brandon's an expert on that, so I don't know if he wants to talk more about it. but I don't want to get too wonky on it, but... Yeah, by lumping all the bighorn, the ram tags together, um, you're combining the odds of the different hunts in there. So the way I've drawn two bighorn sheep tags in two states as a non-resident is by putting in what I call red letter hunts, where in the proclamation it has big red letters that says basically, are you really sure that you want to take a bite of this because it's going to kill you? And I've said, sign me up because the odds are a little bit better so you arbitrage your draw odds so that's a frustration is that by bending over backwards to create a non-resident opportunity they've they've damaged my best odds of drawing a sheep tag in my life or in my own home state and they've thrown me under the bus on that as a new mexico resident that's one of the okay okay okay. heartburns i have so so that statement seemed a little contradictory to a statement before earlier that you said we're still for new res new non-resident sheep tags let me see if i heard you correctly okay 
you want, as a resident, the ability to figure out where my draw odds are better or less in the state of New Mexico. Correct. So why I want non-residents just... to have that same opportunity. Okay. And so here's the thing. I mean, it gets so wonky, but they've thrown all the sheep permits for Rocky Mountain Bighorn Rams. They've thrown into one hunt code, right? So when you're picking that hunt code, you're picking among all Rocky Bighorn sheep permits in the state of New Mexico. And you're picking three picks. I want to go maybe this area, maybe this area. But doesn't so that it's... mean you can hunt anywhere you want? No. So you, your choice and your draw odds are the average of all the ones that are in there, right? So you got to clear that first bar. You got to be in the running for a sheep tag of a Rocky. Then you've also made what they, and it's something that's never been done before or since, and it only exists for bighorns. That's how crazy this system is. Then you select, okay, if I clear that first bar, I want either Bancos, and then my second choice on that is going to be Wheeler, and then my third choice would be, you know, the Rio Grande Gorge or whatever. So they've lumped it all together. So you got to clear one bar, and that's an average bar of all the draw mm -hmm. odds of all the hunts combined together. Mm -hmm. So instead of just saying, oh, this is the hardest hunt in New Mexico, there aren't a lot of sheep – which actually there's a lot of sheep in all of our hunts. But so this is the hardest hunt. It's going to be easier to draw. I'm putting it for there because I want to roll the dice. I just want to tag. I'll mm -hmm. go do a hard hunt. I'll prepare my body, my mind to suffer mm -hmm. and I'll go do that. So, and so if we get it put into the rational system where each hunt is its own hunt code, non-residents can do, non-residents of New Mexico can do the same thing I have done. Say, this is the least desirable sheep hunt, still highly desirable. And I might be able to double my odds of drawing. So I'm willing to take some pain to do it. Or, no, I only want to go on the best hunt or I don't want to go. I don't want to spend $3,000 for uh, a less desirable hunt. So it's taking that option away. So as a resident, it's a more acute thing because non-resident odds are going to be horrible for sheep everywhere always. There's no way around that. They're going right. to be horrible. Resident odds are horrible, but they're a lot less horrible. So – I would like to have my best chance in my own state. And I would like – it's not well, me. Man, I say just... me. I mean all my residents, my fellow residents, people that right. – I would rather have someone's never hunted sheep before have a tag than me in New Mexico. I've had some opportunities, right? But I'd be just, happy. But you just confirmed my point then. Uh, you know, I think from a non-resident perspective, the odds are so low. We're at 7 versus 43. The whole high-low – Yes, mathematically, when you start increasing X, Y, Z, yes, the, the percentages are, in, are, are, are quite large. But at the end of the day, they're actually very, very minuscule in terms of your draw odds for that non-resident. It's the resident draw odds that are at, at question here. Mm, I just disagree. It's both because like, I mean, what is the that little difference, difference makes a difference is... between drawing and not for both residents and non-residents. <sighs> It can. We'll have to. People. We'll have to agree to disagree here because yeah, to sure. me, my, my chances of a new on an on residence because I've only got seven tags, or even let's just go with the you know, are, are, are so small that if I chose one or the other, it's not going to be like this. Like and and this is a, an audio and visual, not a visual medium, but it's not a, a massive jump. Like it no, may be a hundred percent jump. It may be a hundred percent jump, but I'm going from point two to point four. It can versus, be two or three. It can be two or three hundred percent jump. Yeah, but it can what be I'm saying 0. is, one to point five. It's still point. 
versus a resident could go from 3% to 6%, which is the no, same increase, really. 200 or 300%, but your numbers are much higher than a non-resident. My son drew his third choice sheep hunt in New Mexico, drew his, drew his third choice. So his, there wasn't a tag for his first choice or his second choice. And it was Wheeler, Pecos, and then Pecos Youth. He drew the youth hunt. The difference was the youth was 0.4% versus 0.1 or 0.2%. Okay. So that little thing, by me being smart and doing exactly what I'm talking about, I put a tag in his pocket. If I didn't pick that hunt, he drew probably the last sheep tag. And I also did it for a friend of mine, drew the last Rocky Mountain Bighorn sheep tag issued in the state of New Mexico a few years ago mm-hmm. by being selective. So whatever. It doesn't matter that much, right? It's just one thing. I'm saying this is not – I wouldn't go through this fight for just that. Sure, but sure, it's one course. thing that's like, god dang, I wish they – that was my first thought. I was like, oh, I can't believe they took my, my system away from me, you know? Well, and two things that, I, that I'd like to add, Robbie. One, it wasn't too many years ago. Non-residents got every single sheep tag in New Mexico except for one. Uh, and Brandon could talk for about For the desert bighorn sheep. Yeah, every single tag went to a non-resident except for one because our quota law was so messed up. Uh, and it's lawsuits and injunctions and all. It's You really want to talk about boring stuff that will make people turn it off. That would do it. But but for me, as I mentioned, it, it's a matter – it's a matter of principle, you know, fight. I'm not fighting over seven tags. The New Mexico Department of Game and Fish and the State Game Commission has two conflicting statutes, and it's not the first time they've had to deal with that. They've had to deal with it numerous times, and the Wildlife Federation has gotten involved at every opportunity to try to fix that dilemma. What's really frustrating, though, is every time they're forced with conflicting statutes, they'll choose the option that that provides the maximum preference to the outfitters and the non-residents opposed to most states that that's I that's 100% across the board. Every single time they are faced a choice. That's the, that's the thing that um, gives me the most heartburn about our system in New Mexico is why when they're faced with these clear choices where legally they can make whichever choice they want, why do they always side with non-residents and especially the outfitted part of the non-resident? Why is New Mexico built the most privatized, system of hunting in the western states there's no reason for that and and so that's a lot a lot of of it a lot of my motivation robbie is 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 the principle of the matter you know we are residents and we should we deserve as residents i believe this for residents of every state wyoming in in the podcast you had with carrie you talked about wyoming going to 90 10 for their big five i think i was actually in wyoming at the legislature while that was going on and I completely support the residents of Wyoming. I mean, when I go to Alaska, all of the systems in place are to make it more challenging for me as a non-resident, not just financially, mm-hmm. but actually in the hunt itself. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, mm-hmm. there are a million sure. things I can't do that a resident could do. And that's the way most Western states work. New Mexico just has this history of whenever there's a conflict, decide which option provides maximum preference or benefit to the outfitters and or the non-residents. And I don't think that's right. I think uh, when the, when they're faced with those options, they should side with the residents as a default. But with that being said, that th- this whole motivation for me is not to take away seven tags from non-residents. It's to force this issue to end up in the state legislature so we can fix the conflicting statutes and provide a system that specifies how tag allocation for bighorn sheep should work because there's so few tags, you can't follow the same quota statute because it says that residents have to have a minimum of 84%. So fixing right. that itself doesn't, I mean, fixing the, the, 
definition of a hunt code wouldn't be the right thing to do. The right thing to do would be to adjust the statute so that tag allocation for bighorn sheep is specifically identified differently than tag allocation for every other big game species in the state. And if we did that and we did it right, we could not have to have this fight. We could make sure there's still non-resident hunting opportunity equal to the non-resident hunting opportunity that exists in New Mexico today for the species. So that's, I, I don't know if that's helpful at all or not, but if, if people want to know the motivation of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation in this whole fight, a lot of it just has to do with a matter of principle that um, the commission should be committed to representing the residents of the state and the commission and the agency shouldn't be forced to deal with these conflicting statutes. We need to get the legislature to clean it up. So let me summarize. You both are interested in fixing the conflicting statute in which there's potentially a little bit of work on the hunt codes that, to Brandon's point, gives you a better idea on draw odds in different systems so that you can up your chances, both resident and non-resident, for drawing a sheep tag. Correct? Correct. You also both have said multiple times on this podcast that you're not against the reduction in non-resident opportunity when it comes to big horn sheep in this situation. Not against it? You are not against. You've both stated that you, are, you, you do not want to remove the non-resident opportunity that is the seven tags of bighorn sheep in the state of New Mexico. Yeah, that's correct. The way you stated it at first, you said we're not, a, you said it Sorry, a double negative. A double negative. So you were saying- My wife would have yeah. killed me. She says PhD in English. She's Those like- Those double negatives, hell, oh my man. gosh. Yeah, but yeah, I, no, I, yeah. I agree with that statement yeah. also, Robbie. I, my goal is certainly not to, to you know, eliminate or even reduce non-resident hunting opportunity long term. Now, I, I will say on the short term, the Wildlife Federation has advocated to the commission to follow the legal definition of a hunt code, which in fact would eliminate non-resident hunting opportunity. But the, the goal, yeah, the end, you know, mm -hmm. the end game wasn't to eliminate the non-resident hunting opportunity. The end game is just to force the issue into the state legislature. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew this was going to be a bond burner. And uh, it certainly has, it was certainly good. I love it. I love these kinds of conversations and I am privileged to be able to have them. Um, it's a difficult task, man. It's a difficult task. I know, Brandon, you want to like add something in here. Um, no, it's just, I was going to say that it's unfortunate that this issue is so technical. Mm -hmm. That it's just, I mean, it'll just make your mm -hmm. ears bleed listening to it. It's so technical and it's so hard to talk about. And I have so much, I've been working on this for oh, 15 years, right? 14, 15 years now. So I, I know that's all in my mind, like how it's working, how we got here. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing we didn't cover is how did we end up where we are? And, and I think that, Looking at this just as a snapshot in time now, it doesn't give the full picture of why we would be bothered to do this now. Sure. It's in this long chain. We ended up here. So the path we got here 
we need to go back around another curve and get back to, mm-hmm. you know, the early part of it. And mm-hmm. so unfortunately it's very boring to talk about and it's hard to understand. And it just is though. It's the problem with these sure. things. They get sure, crazy. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, most, most residents of New Mexico don't fully understand how the system works or how we got here. Um, so it, it is very difficult to comprehend. And, and we, I certainly appreciate you, Robbie, giving us the airtime to, to just kind of do our best to set the record straight and make sure that non-residents around the country aren't uh, vilifying the New Mexico Wildlife Federation or Brandon Wynn as an individual for being anti-non-resident because that's certainly not the case. And if, if you come out to hunt Aldad with me, um, I'll be happy to show you how much we appreciate our non-residents. <laughs> and as that, I said, that's, only if Brandon comes with us. I'm going. So that's the one thing that has really been bothering me about this is that I personally have been portrayed by name and emails as someone that's trying to eliminate non-resident hunting and that is patently false for me and the Wildlife Federation. And I don't like having that hung around my neck. And it's yeah. hard to combat that once it's shot out there. And so I really don't appreciate that that has been done. Well, Brandon, unfortunately, that's the, the world that we live in when it comes to these issues. When you stick your head above the parapet and, and send bullets downrange, bullets are going to come back in your direction. It's yeah, just the like, it's- So I say stick your head up into the rotor wash, you might lose it. And yeah. I'm willing to do that. I'm passionate about these Good. issues. I'm willing to do that. Now, I'm going to, I'd like to say one last thing, too, that yes, we sir. mentioned. If I thought that this would in any way affect bighorn sheep populations in the state of New Mexico, I wouldn't touch it with a 50,000-foot pole. I mean, that's my first bar I have to clear. Is this – if I get what I'm looking for here, will it impact bighorn sheep conservation? This absolutely – will not affect bighorn sheep conservation and bighorn sheep populations in the state of New Mexico. That is the most important thing. Getting them out there, then we can fight over who gets to hunt them. We have to have them on the landscape before we have something mm-hmm. to fight about. Mm-hmm. And New Mexico is very good at getting them out there. They have a wonderful sheep program. Well said. Jesse, Brandon, thank you. Robbie, thank Thanks you so much. Thanks for Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.